Heavenly Father, I ask you to anoint these next few minutes as we talk about when Harvey comes, when disaster, when difficult days, when dark times accost us unexpectedly. Father, I ask you to let me decrease that you might increase. Let your word go forth with power and anointing. Let our hearts be seasoned and our minds sharp to hear and understand and comprehend and apply to our lives the principles we're going to cover today. We thank you for this and we praise you for it. In Jesus' name, everybody said... Amen. Acts chapter 27. Verse 9. Paul is sailing toward Rome. Much time had been lost and sailing had already become dangerous because by now it was after the Day of Atonement. So Paul warned them. Verse 10, Acts chapter 27. Men, I can see that our voyage is going to be disastrous and bring great loss to ship and cargo and to our own lives also. But the centurion, instead of listening to what Paul said, followed the advice of the pilot and the owner of the ship. Since the harbor was unsuitable to winter in, the majority decided that we should sail on, hoping to reach Phoenix and winter there. This was a harbor in Crete, facing southwest and northwest. When a gentle south wind began to blow, they saw their opportunity, so they weighed anchor and sailed along the shore of Crete. Before very long, a wind of hurricane force called the Northeaster swept down from the island ship was caught by the storm and could not head into the wind, so we gave way to it and were driven along. As we passed to the lee of a small island called Cauda, we were hardly able to make a lifeboat secure, so the men hoisted it aboard, and they passed ropes under the ship itself to hold it together, because they were afraid they would run aground on the sandbars of Sirtis. They lowered the sea anchor and let the ship be driven along. We took such a violent battering from the storm that the next day they began to throw the cargo overboard. On the third day, they threw the ship's tackle overboard with their own hands. That's the ropes, the sails, the, ta- the block and tackle pulleys, all the things that actually make the ship navigable. Neither sun nor stars appeared for many days, and the storm continued raging. We finally gave up all hope of being saved. After they had gone a long time without food, Paul stood up before them and said, Men, you should have taken my advice not to sail from Crete. It's not always a bad thing to say, I told you so. See, it's right there in the Bible. Then you would have spared yourself this damage and loss. But now I urge you to keep up your courage because, and here's a prophecy, not one of you will be lost, only the ship will be destroyed. Now, how did Paul know that? The only way he could have known it is in his spirit by the Holy Spirit. Last night, an angel of God, to whom I belong and whom I serve, stood beside me, presence of God, and said, Do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand trial before Caesar, and God has graciously given you the lives of all who sail with you. Be careful who you keep company with. All these men didn't drown, not because they were anybody, but because of Paul's relationship to God and his position in the plan God was executing. So keep up your courage, men, for I have faith in God that it will happen just as he told me. Nevertheless, we must run aground on some island. On the 14th night, two weeks of this, we were still being driven across the Adriatic Sea when about midnight the sailors sensed they were approaching land. They took soundings and found the water was 120 feet deep. A short time later, they took soundings again, found it was 90 feet deep. Fearing that we'd be dashed against the rock, they dropped four anchors from the stern and prayed for daylight. Sometimes all you can do is drop anchors and pray for daylight. In an attempt to escape from the ship, the sailors let the lifeboat down into the sea, pretending they were going to lower some anchors from the bow. Then Paul said to the centurion and the soldiers, Unless these men stay with the ship, you cannot be saved. 
So the soldiers cut the ropes that held the lifeboat and let it drive away. Drive away. Sometimes God puts conditions on miracles. Sometimes God puts conditions on miracles. We have to pay attention to be obedient to what God tells us to do. Let me tell you something about Noah. Noah did not save the human race because he loved God. He didn't save it because he knew the latest worship song from, from Hill Songs. He didn't save the world because he was a good worshiper because he gave big money in the church. Noah saved the world for one thing, only one reason. He obeyed what God told him to do. There is no substitute for obeying God. Just before dawn, Paul urged them to eat. For the last 14 days, you've been in constant suspense and going without food. You haven't eaten anything, and I urge you to take some food. You need it to survive. Not one of you will lose a single hair from his head. After he said this, he took some bread, gave thanks to God in front of them all. He broke it and began to eat. They were all encouraged and ate some food themselves. Altogether, there were 276 on board. When they had eaten as much as they wanted, they lightened the ship by throwing the grain into the sea. And I could go on the ship struck a sandbar and it was broken to pieces and they swam ashore on planks and pieces of wood. Now, when Harvey comes to visit, when Harvey comes to visit, what happens when all hell breaks loose in your life? What do you do? What happens when storms break out? What happens when you suddenly look around and you don't know where you are? I was a little boy. I was like 15, 16 years old and I was squirrel hunting and I saw this nice little four-point buck, six-point buck. I, I couldn't kill the deer. It wasn't deer season, but I wanted to follow him. So I followed him, and I just followed him for a long way, and I realized it was getting dark, and I looked around, and I was in the middle of a swamp. There was water everywhere. I didn't know where I was. Long story short, I finally got out, and the truck that picked me up drove me six miles back to my vehicle. I had followed that stupid deer six miles and nearly drown into an alligator and snake-infested swamp. I'm telling you, be careful who you follow. <laughs> when Harvey comes to visit, number one, God was God, He is God, and He will be God. When storms come into your life, first thing, don't panic, don't freak, don't get all emotional. Don't come unglued. God was God, is God, and he will be God after the storm is gone. He was God before the storm got there. He's going to be God while the storm rages. He's going to be God after the skies have cleared and the dust has settled and the waters have receded. He's going to be God. So remember the long game. Remember the big picture. Remember the eternal perspective. Get your eyes on God when Harvey comes and keep them there. Because God is always going to be God. He's God before. He's going to be God after. Don't worry about it. Trust in God. A couple of things about this. Nothing surprises God. Nothing takes God by surprise. I'm amazed by the people who come to the altar and they just get all tight-lipped and feel like they can't confess anything to God, like they're going to surprise Him. I know you're omniscient. That means you know everything, but you didn't know this about me. Yes, he did. You couldn't tell God anything today that would surprise him. He already knows. And the good news is he loves you anyway. God didn't wake up with a toothache or hemorrhoids today. He loves you. <laughs> Secondly, never lose sight of who's got you. Never lose sight of who's got you. I was a little boy. I think I was like 10 years old. One of those times when I wasn't seven. 
Donna told me the other day, everything that happened to you as a child happened when you were seven. I was standing on the edge of a pool in the Smoky Mountains. My daddy said, jump to me, son. I could swim, but not great. And this was over my head water. He said, jump to me, I'll catch you. I might have been, might have been younger than 10. Anyway, I think I was 10. He said, jump. Might have been seven. <laughs> I was like, okay, okay. Long story short, finally I jumped and my daddy caught me. He had me. He got me. And when somebody grabs you that can press 300 pounds on a bathroom scale, he's got you. I knew who had me. Nobody could grip like my daddy. All these kids that run around and they drag their parents around, uh-uh. You didn't do that to my daddy. He just grabbed you and squeeze you. You just paralysis, you know. You, you didn't shake my daddy's hand and try to put the man crush on him. Uh-uh. No, you didn't do that but once. You walk away. Thank you. Nice to meet you, RL, you know. So I knew who had me. I knew my daddy had me. Know who's got you. Listen, I don't care where you are today in your life. I don't care what you're going through. If you want God to have you, God's got you. God knows where you are. He knows what you're going through. And the world might not have you. Your family might have abandoned you. You might not have a friend left. But I'm going to tell you, God is never going to back out on you. He's never going to leave you stranded. He's never going to let you go. He's got you. And you can count on that. Know who's got you. And God has got you. Third, God has a plan. Always remember this, God has a plan. Even in things that make no sense, God has a plan. There was this little bird. It was freezing cold. The little bird was so cold, he thought he was going to freeze to death. He was sitting in a cow pasture, huddled up in some grass, trying not to die. So cold, his little eyes were freezing shut. Wind is blowing out on the prairie of Wyoming. Sub-zero weather, little bird's feathers are freezing, you got a little feet cold. All of a sudden, this cow walks up and just poops on the bird. At first, the bird is like, no, this is terrible. And then he realizes, well, you know what? might not be real pleasant, but at least it's warm in here. So the bird gets all happy and starts singing. And all of a sudden, this bobcat hears the little bird singing. Walks across the cow pasture, looks at the pile of cow poop, digs the bird out, grabs him, and eats him. So what's the moral of the story, Pastor? Number one, everybody who poops on you is not your enemy. Number two, everybody who tries to dig you out of the poop ain't your friend. Number three, when you're in the poop, keep your mouth shut. God has a plan. You might not can see the plan, but God knows the plan. When Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego stood before King Nebuchadnezzar, and this great confrontation took place, and you know the story, he had erected a statue 90 feet high and 8 feet wide, you got to bow to the statue when the music plays, and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego refused to bow to the statue. The three Hebrews thought, we're just standing up for what we believe. And if we go into the fiery furnace and we die, then we die. And we believe God's going to set us free and rescue us. But if he doesn't, 
We're not going to bow down to the image. As far as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego could see, that was the extent of their involvement in this scenario. They were standing up for what they believed was right. But God had an entire different chessboard set out, and he saw an entirely different set of dynamics and principles and power at work. God was turning the king of Babylon away from paganism and opening the door for worship of the one true God to take root and take hold in the kingdom. And he was doing it through three Hebrews that refused to compromise their beliefs. Joseph's brothers had no idea when they took him because they were jealous of his little coat of many colors and they put animal blood on it and threw him in a cistern and sold him into slavery, they thought, we're just getting rid of our vexing brother that we don't like. That was as far as they could see. Listen, our limited vision doesn't change God's unlimited plans. As far as they knew, that was their entire involvement in the whole situation. We're jealous of our brother. We're going to get him out of our family so our father won't dote on him. We're going to sell him, make a little money. Fool our dad into believing that he's been killed by a wild animal, and we'll be rid of him and my dad's favoritism over my brother Joseph. What they did not understand was that God had a bigger plan. God's plan was to get Israel into Egypt so they wouldn't die out when the famine came. He started all this way beforehand. Because he knew the famine was coming, I believe, all the way back here when, he, when his brothers were incited with jealousy and threw Joseph into the cistern. I believe God already knew the famine was coming. This was all part of that. He wanted Joseph in place so that he could get all the nations of Israel into Egypt so that they wouldn't die of starvation. History records one of the worst famines the world's ever seen. Joseph's brothers just thought, we hate our brother. But God had a bigger plan. What the devil and what flesh and what selfishness seems to design for wickedness, God can turn around and make something beautiful out of it. That's what Romans 8.28 really means. Romans 8.28 does not mean that everything happens to us is good or that God allows everything to happen to us for our good. What it does mean is that no matter what happens to us, God can bring good out of it. When David stood on the plains of the Middle East and looked at a 9 to 13 foot tall man named Goliath and said, you don't scare me, let's paraphrase. I've killed lions and tigers and bears, oh my, not tigers, but (laughs) lions and bears with my bare hands. You don't scare me. Another paraphrase. David thought, this is an immediate threat to our nation. I'm not going to be intimidated by this giant. That's as far as David's vision went. God had a bigger plan. God was going to use this event to be the turning point in David's life to catapult him into the, into the throne room and to set Israel free from potential hundreds years of Philistine domination. God always has a bigger plan than we do. So understand that no matter what's going on in your life, it may not make sense to you. You may feel like the little bird in the cow pasture. You don't see how in the world this can be good. I don't see how in the world this can be anything positive. Out of the worst 
stinkiest, most horrible, most adversarial, confrontational, difficult circumstances of your life, God still has a plan. If you will make sure you're obedient. Now, if you're in this situation because of rebellion or because of sin, you're going to have to deal with that. We go, we go through our lives sowing seed out in front of us, and when that harvest comes up, a lot of times we ask God to hit it with Roundup. God doesn't have to do that. If we'll walk in obedience to God, the, the harvest that comes up can be good. All the seeds we sow shouldn't be bad ones. There ought to be some good ones. Next, you've got to know when to hold them and know when to fold them. I borrowed a line from a Kenny Rogers song. Sometimes it's time to hold on, and sometimes it's time to let go. King David committed a sin with Bathsheba. You know the story. She became with child, and the Lord had said through the prophet Nathan, the child is going to die. The baby got sick. David fasted and prayed for days. The baby didn't get any better. Finally, he noticed the servants murmuring among themselves. He hadn't eaten, he hadn't, put, he hadn't bathed, he hadn't changed his clothes, and that was the custom for the ancient Israelites and people in ancient days. They didn't take care of themselves as a sign of mourning or grief or petitioning God. And he said, is the child dead? And the servants came to him and said, yes, O king, the child is dead. So he got up and he said, bring me my lotions and my, my creams and lotions. He got a bath, he cleaned himself up, and he said, bring me food. I mean, just like that. Servants came to him and said, O king, please forgive us, but we don't understand. All these days, you have been pining for your child's life. You've been begging God to save your baby. You, you haven't eaten, you haven't used your lotions, you haven't taken care of yourself, and now the child has died, and suddenly you clean yourself up and tell us to bring you food. We don't understand. And David made an incredible response. And he shared some great wisdom that I want to remind us all of today. He said, while the child was alive, there was hope that he might live. I fasted, I prayed, and I sought after God. Now that the child is dead, there's nothing I can do to bring him back. I will go to him one day, but he will not return to me. Never put a period where God puts a comma. And never put a comma where God puts a period. Know when to hold them. And know when to fold them. Be informed by wisdom. Be informed by wisdom. An old man was walking across a swamp to go see his buddy, Fred. They were both 80-something years old. They knew their years were just about over. Man walks by a stump, and there's a frog sitting on it. The frog looks up at him and says, Hi there, I'm a talking frog. I'm actually a princess. I have been the victim of a witch who's cast a spell on me. If you'll kiss me, I'll turn back into a princess, and I'll grant any wish you desire. man reached down, picked up the frog, and put it in his pocket. Kept on walking. Got to his buddy's house, and he said, Fred, you're not going to believe what I just ran into. He said, what? He said, a talking frog. He said, ain't no such thing as a talking frog. He whipped the frog out, and the frog looked at Fred and said, Hi, I'm actually a princess who's under a witchcraft spell. If you'll kiss me, I'll turn back into a beautiful princess, and I'll grant your every desire. The man looked at his buddy, and Fred said, aren't you going to kiss her? The old man put the frog back in his pocket and said, you know, at my age, I think I'd rather have a talking frog. <laughs> Informed by wisdom. 
knowing when to let go and knowing when to hold on means we've got to have some grasp of wisdom in our hearts. We've got to have an understanding of how things work. The difference between wisdom and knowledge is that knowledge is the assimilation of information and facts and data. Wisdom is understanding how to use that to its best practice. We've got to be informed by wisdom. Secondly, we've got to be led by the Spirit. We've got to know when to hold them. We've got to know when to fold them. Paul and Barnabas were ministering together, but they had a difference of opinion over the continuation of their ministry. And Paul parted company with Barnabas, and he took solace with him instead. We don't know the intricate details of all of that. Many people believe that it was a it was a disagreement over John Mark and whether he should continue with them because he had deserted them in the ministry earlier. But we don't know what all it may have entailed. We do know this. You never hear anything else about Barnabas much in the whole Bible, but you hear a whole lot about Paul and Silas. You got to know when to make changes in your life. You got to know when to say goodbye. On the other hand, there was an old prophet named Elijah. And the Lord had said, I'm going to take you into heaven with me. But whoever follows you, if your servant Elisha, who was to succeed him as prophet, and told Elisha, if you will not let Elijah out of your sight, and you see him caught up into heaven, Elijah told Elisha, if you see me get caught up into heaven, you will receive a double portion of the power of God. Well, you know what Elisha did? He decided right then, I'm not letting you out of my sight. And he followed him everywhere he went you got to know when to hang on to a good thing. And it doesn't tell us how long or how far the journey was that Elisha followed Elijah. And you know what? To Elisha, it didn't matter. When God gives you a promise, hang on to it. When God says, I want you in link with this prophet of God, this man of God, this ministry, don't let anything kick you out. Now, I want to say something here about the most irritating thing in the ministry. I'm getting ready not to be a pastor in a few weeks, so I can say stuff like this. <laughs> most irritating thing in the ministry is people swapping churches. It just is. It just is. Get yourself where God has told you to be. Listen to me. Get yourself where God has told you to be. Might not have one thing to do with your family. Might not have one thing to do with your friends. Might not even have to do with whether or not your favorite person is the preacher. Your favorite person don't have to be the preacher. It just has to be that God has said, I want you here if you want my power, if you want my word, if you want to obey me, if you want to please me, here is where I want you. Get there, get planted, and don't leave. Do something productive. Next, be prepared. Be prepared. Always try to be prepared for any eventuality. I've got a bag in my, in my vehicle at all times. I call it my get-home bag. I have survival gear in there that provide me with at least three days and at most two weeks of the ability I could probably live indefinitely out of that bag, and I carry it with me in my vehicle. People think, well, that's kind of extreme and kind of silly and kind of crazy. Well, when you've lived five years in New Mexico and you've seen it snow two feet overnight, in one place it snowed four feet overnight, 
when you've seen over 200 vehicles spun out uh, upside down on going down the mountain trying to get to church, when, you've, when people starve to, start, freeze to death in the parking lot of a convenience store, you understand it's important to be prepared. Remember the big ice storm we had a couple of years back? Remember all the people stranded all over the road? I could have walked out of that car, walked out into the woods, and had a nice bushcraft camp with a crackling fire going in about 30 minutes. And we'd have stayed warm all night. A lot of people stayed very cold in their vehicles. I'm not saying you've got to do that. I do it because I'm an outdoorsman. I hunt, I fish, I hike, I do bushcraft, I see all these things. And I know from experience how just on the turn of a dime, a fun afternoon can turn into a survival situation. I mean, just like that. And you're fighting for your life. If you don't have the knowledge, the skills, and the kit to make it, many people don't. Believe for the best, prepare for the worst. That's a good axiom to live by. Believe for the best, but prepare for the worst. Secondly, knowledge is the most important skill you have. When Joseph came to power in Egypt, he was talking to Pharaoh. Pharaoh had had a dream. And you know Joseph had been put in the Pharaoh's dungeon for a crime he did not commit. He was charged with raping Potiphar's wife, and he didn't do that. But he got put in prison for it. Even when you get blamed and, and chided and persecuted for stuff you didn't do wrong it seems totally unfair god how could you let this happen i didn't do anything and here i am in prison for something i didn't even do god still has a plan even with that pharaoh had a dream told it to joseph joseph said i know what that dream means it means that there's going to be seven good years and seven bad years seven years of plenty and seven years of famine and it turned out to be true and joseph said let a wise man be appointed to apportion much of the grain and take that grain and store it during the seven good years so that during the seven lean years there'll be plenty and the king looked at joseph and said well who is wiser than you wow knowledge is the most important skill you have jesus said my people perish for lack of knowledge my people perish for lack of knowledge knowing what what does the Bible say? Those are the five most important words you'll ever come, come across in your life. I've been saying those words over and over and over and over. Many people are probably sick of hearing me say those words, and you know what? I don't care. I'm going to say them again. What does the Bible say? Because most people don't know what the Bible says. They can tell you everything about the Lannisters and Stark on, on Starks on the Game of Thrones, but they can't tell you what the Bible says. I'm not saying that's going to send you to hell, but I am saying let's get our priorities right. I am saying put the emphasis where it belongs. Mark Rutland said if the emphasis is on the wrong syllable, nothing you say makes any sense. A lot of truth in that. Knowledge is your most important skill. It's 12 degrees, the wind's blowing 30 miles an hour, of driving snow and sleet going on, four feet of snow on the ground. How do you make a fire? Skill is your most important, or knowledge is your most important skill. How You see the bunny rabbit, you see where he lives, you see where he goes, but how do you trap that bunny rabbit? Knowledge is your most important skill. What does the Bible say about your situation? What does the Bible say that you should do in that relationship? What is God saying is the best way to navigate through the complexities of the place you're in right now? 
understanding, wisdom, knowledge. The Bible says in all you're getting, get wisdom. It's the most powerful force you have, the most powerful skill you possess. I want to end with this. Harvey's happen. How will we respond? Dave, if you'll come play, if he's here. Okay, somebody let him know I want him to come play his guitar. Harpist, I call thee. How do you respond? One of my, they're up to 33 now. I'm writing a list of my undeniable truths of life, which will come out in a book of, a series of books of 10 each in, in the future. One of them is, it's not what happens to you, it's how you respond. And I think that's probably one of the most powerful things I ever learned in my life, is it is not what happens to us. It is how we respond. And here's the kicker to that. We get to choose how we respond. And there's another level beyond that. We are accountable for that choice. Are you going to operate by faith or by feelings? Are you going to walk by faith? Are you going to walk by what you feel? Is spiritual dynamic going to rule your life decision-making processes? Or are emotions going to pull the levers of your choice-making? What's going to be the rule of your life? What's going to be the denominator, the baseline? What's going to be the reset? When you hit the refresh button in your heart, where does it go? Does it reset to how you feel, or does it reset to what the Bible says? It ought to always reset to those five words. Attitude is everything. When, it's, when you're talking about what you're going through in your life, not what happens to us, but it's how we respond. Attitude is everything. I believe attitude is right up there with decisions when it comes to taking us to our destiny. I'm going to tell you right now, if you've got, if you've got a, a hard thing, if somebody has said something to you, at some, it could be 10 years ago, somebody said something you didn't like, it offended you, you felt it was wrong. If you're not careful, you can have, not racial, but just a prejudicial dislike toward that person and and deprive yourself of years of incredible knowledge and relationship enhancing truth that you could have been privy to but because of one thing they did that you didn't like or you didn't agree with or it offended you you sequestered yourself off off in who knows where land and and you have deprived yourself of incredible wisdom that will not always be available to you think about that we've got to be careful about our attitude We've got to be careful about our motivations. James says that when we pray, we don't receive what we ask for because we ask with wrong motives. That's powerful. Our motives, wrong motives, can keep us from getting our prayers answered. I want to close with this. We can't control everything, and bad things happen. We have to trust God and keep moving forward. One of the most amazing chapters in the Bible was written by King David. And it's Psalm 51. And this is after Nathan the prophet came to King David and told him the parable of the man and the sheep. And then Nathan pointed his finger at him and said, you're the man. Now, Nathan put his life on the line. 
David could have said, Benaiah, take off his head. David, if you'll come play. And Benaiah would have gone over there and, and cut his head off. And Nathan the prophet would have prophesied no more. Instead, King David sat down and he wrote Psalm 51. And in that psalm, for all the generations of future, future humanity to read, is a king's heart-wrenching prayer of repentance to God for a secret sin he tried to cover up with murder. Sometimes we make bad decisions. Sometimes bad things happen in our lives. Sometimes bad things happen to good people. Did you know that? I want to tell you something today. There are a lot of things in this life and in this world that don't make sense to me and that I don't understand. You know what? I don't have to understand them all. Did you know that you're not required to understand all the people you work with? You're not. You're not required to understand them. You're not required to be Let's go camping best buddies with every single person you encounter in your life. What we are required to do is to care about them and love them the way God does. To care about their eternity. And when something happens that we don't like, we have to be quick to forgive. Forgiveness is not optional in the Bible. We have no choice but to forgive every person who's ever wronged us. That is non-negotiable in God's kingdom. Restoration is a different thing. You don't have to be restored to fellowship, but you do have to forgive. But you're not required to understand everybody. We're not required to understand everything that happens to us in life. And I'm going to tell us one more thing we need to remember. God is not required to explain everything that happens to us in this life. Those people in... Houston and its surrounding communities right now, they're shaking their heads and scratching their scalp, and they're wondering, why? Why here? Why now? Hurricane Irma's spinning out there, and of course, hurricanes always churn. Tornadoes rip, hurricanes churn. You ever notice that? Hurricane Irma is churning in the Atlantic, always. Well, Hurricane Irma's out there churning in the Atlantic, sure to get stronger. They're prognosticating probably going to be a Cat 5. Nobody knows where it's going. I hope the thing just goes out into, Atlanta, into the Atlantic and has a party all by itself. But if it hits Florida or South Carolina or Georgia or North Carolina, or, God forbid, goes across the Gulf and hits Houston again, people are going to be scratching their heads going, Why? Why us? Why here? Why now? There are things in your life that are going to happen and you're just going to wonder why is this happening to me? I don't understand this. This doesn't make sense to me. I don't like this. Listen, as we close today, I want to encourage you to do exactly what Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego did when they were standing in front of the king and there was the fiery furnace. They said four things. Number one, the God we serve is able to deliver us. Number two, we believe he will deliver us. Number three, even if he does not deliver us. Number four, we will still not bow down to your idol. Sometimes you have to trust God 
when you have no idea how this situation is going to turn out. Sometimes you have to do what Daniel did, knowing that there was a den of lions that he could be thrown into for praying, knowing that you might be castigated at work, knowing that you might be ostracized at school. You still have to make a stand for God in this world. The last thing we need in America is more undercover Christians. We need people to be lights in this dark world. Make a stand for Jesus at school. Make a stand for God at work. Make a stand for God at the gym. Don't be swept along with the current like an empty Dorito bag. Make a stand like a tree planted by living streams of living water that in due time yields its fruit. Be that person. Make a difference in the world. And when it comes to those things that just don't make any sense to us, let me encourage you to just trust God no matter what. Just trust God, period. Trust God in things that seem unfair. Trust God when the hurricanes of life hit. Trust God when you don't understand which way to turn. Trust God when nothing seems familiar because the whole landscape's underwater. Trust God when life isn't treating you fair. Trust God when there's no answers. Trust God when limited supplies are handy and there's hardly anything to live with. Trust God when income is high. Trust God when income is low. Trust God when you're young and strong. Trust God when you're old and frail. But above all things, know that God loves you so you can always trust in the Lord with all your heart and not lean to your own understanding and in all your ways acknowledge him and he will direct your path. Storms are going to come. Hard times are going to find us. That's not the question. The question is, what will we do when they come? Let's all stand. Bow your heads, close your eyes. Heavenly Father, I ask you in the closing moments of our morning that you would touch every person here, that you would speak to every heart and every life, and you would cause us to understand that when life doesn't make any sense and all we know to do is look to you, and like Moses prayed in the desert when there was no water, Lord, we don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. Lord, there are going to come those storms, those times, those situations in life when we're just not going to know what to do. But let us be able to say, Lord, I might not know what to do, but my eyes are on you. I will not look to the right or to the left. I will not be dissuaded from my faith in you. Though you slay me, yet will I serve you. Though we lose everything, all our money, all our property, even the ones we love like Job, Let us never charge you with wrongdoing. Let us never shake our fist at God. Let us never listen to the voices of angry people who would just say, curse God and die and give up. Let us always look to you with a heart of faith and trust and the knowledge of this one verse that proves it all. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. No matter what situation or scenario we're involved in, Lord, we can always remember John 3.16. You have already proven your love for us in a way that we could never even imagine. So we can never again do we have to doubt 
whether or not you love us, whether or not you're with us, whether or not you've got us, whether or not you've abandoned us. We never have to worry about those things. You recount the hairs on our head every day. You know when a sparrow falls to the ground, you order our steps and you watch over us because you love us. Now, I just want to open up this altar. If you're facing a storm in your life, I know I'm not not talking about a physical storm necessarily, but a storm, relationship, finances, guidance. Maybe you're struggling with habits that just seem impossible for you to break. But you're facing a storm in your life. I just want you without any counting to three, without any bow your heads and look up at me, if you're facing a storm in your life and you just want prayer, we're going to close in a moment of prayer around this altar. So if you would, Pastor, I'm facing a storm. I know it's coming or I'm in it or I'm in the aftermath of it and I don't know what to do. Just get out of your seat right now and come stand across the front of this church and we're going to pray. Come on. Come on. Come on. Yes. God's arm is not short concerning his promise. He is able to do immeasurably more than all we can ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us.